Boss Roofs San Francisco by Walton Bean Preface The shortcomings of American city government have been major problems since the days of Aaron Burr, if not earlier. But these problems were especially acute in the age of industrialization and urbanization between the end of the Civil War and the rise of the progressive movement in the early 20th century. It was an age in which large cities, large corporations, and large organizations of labor grew so rapidly that government and law could not keep up with them. One symptom of this condition was an increase in the power of the city boss, an extra-legal figure who could furnish a bridge between the lagging institutions of politics and the overwhelming demands of expanding economic organizations. It was an age in which corrupt alliances between big business and politics were a menace to democracy throughout America. And it was within this period that Lord Bryce in the American Commonwealth and Lincoln Steffens in The Shame of the Cities wrote classic accounts of boss rule. The role of the city boss was filled by many remarkable personalities of whom William M. Tweed of New York Czar Martin Lamasny of Boston, Ed Butler of St. Louis, and Doc Ames of Minneapolis are well-known examples. But San Francisco, always cosmopolitan, impish, and proud of its special flavor, might have been expected to produce a political boss as colorful and out of the ordinary as the city itself. Abe Roof had a brilliant intellect and a good university and legal education, and he left a detailed and valuable set of memoirs. He was of Jewish ancestry, which was equally unusual among prominent American city bosses, and he rose to power through a phenomenon almost unique in American history, a union labor party elected under his skillful guidance to complete control of the city government. Roof, whose interest in labor was primarily opportunistic, was largely responsible both for the party's temporary success and for its subsequent disgrace which damaged the cause of labor and politics throughout the nation. The San Francisco story has special significance also in that so much can be known about the actual inner workings of boss government under roof. Through a remarkable combination of circumstances, one of the longest, ablest, and most determined graft prosecutions on record succeeded in laying bare the roots of the problem in pitiless detail. A crusading editor, Fremont Older of the Bulletin, persuaded a millionaire, Rudolf Spreckles, to guarantee the very large expenses of the investigation. Older then persuaded President Theodore Roosevelt to lend the services of an already famous team, William J. Burns, the federal government's star detective, and Francis J. Haney, one of its best special prosecutors. When an assassin's bullet temporarily disabled Haney, Hiram W. Johnson distinguished himself as Haney's substitute and was thus launched upon his political career. The leaders of the prosecution adopted Lincoln Steffen's theory that big business was chiefly responsible for the corruption of politics. And in the light of this theory, they gave immunity to a number of union labor politicians and set out to put a number of leading captains of industry in prison. Most of the powerful forces of the business community sympathized with the indicted corporation executives and opposed the prosecution. The trials occurred during the aftermath of the disastrous earthquake and fire of 1906, and the emotional tensions of the time heightened the bitterness of the struggle. It was a dramatic story of class and personal conflict. Before it ended, it had unfolded a panorama of urban society 
and provided a case study of Basque government municipal corruption and the difficulties of reform.